Welcome to Hot Topics in Kidney Health, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation. Join us as we highlight the latest in kidney research, bring you up-to-date news in kidney care, dispel myths, and answer questions to help people with kidney disease or a transplant live well. COVID-19 has rocked the world over the past year. Thankfully, things are looking up with the vaccine rollout well underway. We know some kidney disease and transplant patients are still apprehensive about getting vaccinated, while others are becoming anxious about interacting with people again. In this episode, we sat down with Dr. Frida Fisher, a renowned nephrologist, and Gary Patingalo, a mindfulness expert, to answer some of your most urgent questions during our recent Facebook Live event. Thank you all for joining us today in what I know will be an engaging and informative session. I am Lorna Hankins, Executive Director of the National Kidney Foundation Serving Texas, and it is my honor and privilege to share this platform today with two esteemed partners and friends in the fight against kidney disease. Dr. Frida Fisher, affectionately known as Dr. Frida, is the founder and president of her own nephrology practice, Midtown Atlanta Nephrology, and she is the medical director of a nonprofit dialysis unit. Also with us today is Gary Patingalo, who is a master's prepared social worker who has completed rigorous coursework, supervision, and training as a qualified MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher through the Center for Mindfulness in Medicine, Healthcare, and society at UMass. So Dr. Frida, you deal with kidney patients all day long. Is there specific information about COVID-19 vaccines that people living with kidney disease should be aware of? Absolutely. Thank you, Ms. Lorna. So there are some specifics. A lot of my patients, when they first found out about the vaccine, well, they were concerned. They say, well, we have chronic kidney disease or we're on dialysis or we have transplants. Maybe we shouldn't get the vaccines. Maybe they're not for us, but nothing could be farther from the truth. Kidney patients are actually at a higher risk for getting the COVID-19 infection. Kidney patients are at a higher risk for being hospitalized with it. And unfortunately, kidney patients are at a higher risk of having severe complications from COVID-19 or even from dying from COVID-19. And so absolutely, we recommend that our kidney patients, our transplant patients, our dialysis patients all get the vaccines. Now, there are some important things to note. The vaccines give us an awesome protection. And in the studies, we saw that two of the vaccines, the Moderna and the Pfizer, give up to a 95% protection and you get an excellent protection from Johnson & Johnson as well. All three are shown in the trial to protect us and protect all the patients from having severe illness or hospitalization, but no vaccine is 100%. And so it's still important for kidney disease patients to wear masks, to socially distance, and to really use good judgment in the mitigation factors and staying safe in this pandemic. You know that as the, we have that opportunity to be vaccinated, it sometimes seems and feels like it's harder for us to maintain those practices that have kept us safe thus far. We may let our guards down a little bit. We may not be as attentive you know, to those protocols that have helped us helped us stay safe. Gary, you know, with that melee setting in, could, could you please provide um, an explanation 
of pandemic fatigue and talk to us about how we can overcome that. So I always think that pandemic fatigue was kind of like having a dark cloud above you all the time. Uh, and this dark cloud has been looming since uh, about, you know, about 14 months now. So people are tired. And uh, as far as, um, you know, pandemic fatigue, it's, it really is associated with living in chronic malignant stress over a long duration. Uh, our uh, sympathetic nervous system is revved up and, and we're seeing things uh, very tunnel-like, kind of myopic. So we're not seeing things as clearly as we'd like to. Uh, the tiredness is just one of the symptoms of uh, pandemic fatigue. We might find that we're more irritable and that can go with a whole host of other things. Uh, we're much, it's much more common that we're living in uh, together with different generations now than we have in the past. So there's that um, lack of being alone, which they're referring to as lonely, a loneliness. But uh, anyway, there's a lack of motivation. We might feel that we're just less productive than we'd like to be. It might be hard to get up out of bed in the morning, but it's not uh, a full um, depression, but it's just this general malaise uh, that just is dampening our quality of life uh, at this time. Our sleep might be disruptive. Uh, a lot of us are dreaming about uh, what I refer to as COVID dreams, uh, maybe being in a crowd and suddenly uh, I've had them myself and suddenly you realize you don't have your mask and how disturbing that is. We might have changes in our eating, um, maybe eating a, a lot more junk food and just not paying attention to nutrition. And we might be more forgetful. Um, I bumped into somebody the other day and they said, you know, I wanted to talk, talk to you about something, but I was I couldn't remember what. and I keep forgetting a lot these days. So these are just some of the signs and symptoms of uh, pandemic fatigue, which like I, I said, is really normal given the extraordinary abnormal circumstances that we're living in and the long duration that this has gone on. The, the difficulty, as you said, Lorna, is that it might cause us to let our guard down. It might cause us to be more reactive as opposed to responsive. And, and to act uh, with less wisdom than we typically might. Uh, and we might do things that are more chancy that might get us into trouble. Thank you for that. And I, I know that many who are watching are probably thinking about how, you know, one determines that you're at a point where that's not, you know, your normal sort of angst. And it's 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 reached a level where you need to have, you know, some sort of uh, assistance or guidance in terms of managing it. So, again, one of the reasons that we're so happy to have you with us today. So thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Frieda, did you want to weigh in on that at all? the pandemic fatigue, and especially for people who are used to being upbeat and they haven't had any kind of issues with mood or memory, it's, it's very new and challenging to a lot of people, this pandemic fatigue. And so I'm really glad that you're here, Gary, to bring light to it. And so my first question, uh, and Dr. Frida, this is directed to you. Um, the FDA has deemed that the COVID-19 vaccine from Johnson & Johnson is safe. Is the Johnson & Johnson vaccine safe for those people living with kidney disease? Yes, and it has a great efficacy as far as preventing severe hospitalization, severe illness and complications from COVID-19, and it can prevent you very nicely from dying from COVID-19, the Johnson & Johnson. But of course, we recently had a setback, and because our monitoring system, our safety protocols are so stringent, we were able to catch six cases of ladies between the ages of 18 and 48 who had a very rare blood clot, very, very rare. 
Now, when those ladies were identified at that time, approximately 6.8 million doses of Johnson Johnson had been administered in the United States. And that meant that we had about a one in a million chance or correlation to have this very rare blood clot with Johnson and Johnson. And so of course that's very scary, any kind of blood clot, but one in a million chance. What is so wonderful about the FDA and the CDC and all of the administrations involved with the safety is that they honestly do put safety and transparency first. And so this one in a billion correlation, they stopped everything, looked, did the research, and really wanted to make sure that doctors knew how to recognize this clot. And they wanted to make sure that there weren't a whole lot of other cases of this type of a blood clot. And they did find indeed that the cases were quite low. Just putting things in perspective, you have a greater chance of getting a blood clot by flying on an airplane. If you take birth control pills, you have a greater chance of getting a blood clot. If you're pregnant, you have a greater chance of getting a blood clot. And most definitely, if you have the COVID-19 infection, you are at a much, much higher risk of getting a blood clot than if you take the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. That being said, now that we know, even though it was a very rare chance, and after all the data was looked at, we think there is a two in, two in a million chance approximately, we still find that the benefits of getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine far outweigh the risks, even in dialysis patients. Everyone does need to consult with their physicians to find out, because if you have a high risk of blood clots or if there's some other reason, then you definitely want to consult with your physician. But in general, we are still recommending that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, if that is a shot that's available to you, we do find it to be safe and just understand that what we found was mostly ladies less than 50 who had this very, very, very rare blood clot. Okay, thank you so much. Gary, you talked about pandemic fatigue. Would you please speak to us about any anxiety that people may have as we open up as a society? So that's kind of corollary to what you, you mentioned, but let's let's talk about that. Yeah, th thank you, Lorna. Uh, sometimes it feels like we can't win, <laughs> you know? So here we are, the world has uh, come together and we have these wonderful vaccines available to us. We have hope on the horizon, and now um, we are planning ahead. And sometimes when we're planning ahead and not living in the moment, uh, which is really about mindfulness, we plan ahead and it causes us to have anxiety. So I'm seeing articles about preparing for post-pandemic uh, times. And uh, in some ways, I think that that heightens our anxiety uh, and makes us feel uneasy about another uh, level of uncertainty. You know, we've been living in this uncertainty for a period of time now. And instead of going back to the way things used to be, things are going to be different. And we know that. But when we start to think about, uh, overthink it, then we can go down different rabbit holes and we can have narratives that can cause us to have even more anxiety. Sometimes we catastrophize. We tend to cling more to negativity than positivity. And it might uh, cause us more angst thinking ahead instead of just going with things, letting things be and, uh, and letting go of our expectations and doing that with kindness and gentleness uh, towards ourselves in the process. And those are those are tips and, and perspectives that are relevant to the general public, right? Not just our kidney community. So thank you for that. I'm going to go now to one of the questions in the chat room. And this viewer says, I have a transplanted kidney. 
and I take anti-rejection medications, I received notification that I did not develop antibodies post the Pfizer vaccine. Does everybody develop antibodies with the vaccines? And does no antibodies mean that I don't have the 95% protection? Now, for patients who are on immunosuppressants, again, I stress, we are still recommending that they get the vaccines. And of course, you want to be sure you discuss this with your nephrologist and your transplant nephrology team. Everyone is different in the way that they produce antibodies. And patients who have transplants or patients who have immune compromised states, patients with autoimmune diseases or on medications that suppress your immune system, their antibody production may not be the same as everyone else's, which is why I made the point at the beginning that the vaccines are not 100% and they don't mean that you have 100% immunity, they just add an extra layer of protection. The good news is this, antibodies what you hear as testing, that's something that's relatively easy for us to test, but antibodies are not the only part of your immune system. In addition to your body making antibodies, you have all kinds of other cells. You have T cells, you have B cells, you have just a very complex immune system. And so even if your antibodies are not what one would have expected, you may still have good T cells. You may still have different cytokines, different parts of your immune system that will help you to be protected against the virus. But again, it's very important that you get the specific medical advice from your transplant nephrologist, your nephrology team. And some patients are even recommending to go to an allergist or an immunologist to really kind of get the nuances of what you may need to do to maximize your protection. Meanwhile, continue to wear masks, physically distance, and understand that as a transplant patient, which I know you already know this, that your immune system is a little different, a little more compromised than the rest of us as you've gotten that wonderful gift of life, the transplant. And so you have to make sure that you advocate for yourself and you protect yourself. And what you do for protection may be a little bit different, a little more stringent than what your neighbors may do. But in short, it does not mean that you don't have protection. You may still have some of the other parts of the immune system working, but you want to consult your nephrologist, your transplant team about what you specifically should do. Thank you so much, Dr. Frida. And in addition to that wonderful answer to the question, you, I, I appreciate that you pointed out that, um, you know, we all should recognize that vaccination does not mean immunity. And I think sometimes that gets, that gets lost in the translation. So thank you so much. I'll go uh, to one of our other questions. And this one says, is it appropriate to ask my primary care physician to order a COVID antibody test for me to find out if I have sufficient antibodies after being fully vaccinated after six to eight weeks? In general, that answer is no, and I'll tell you why. At this point, we don't know how much the quantity of antibodies correlate with the quality of antibodies. In other words, you may have you know, 10 times the antibodies of your neighbor, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your neighbor is not protected. Perhaps your neighbor has some antibodies that are going to last for a very long time. So it won't really necessarily give us great information. And anytime we as physicians, if we do a test, we want to know that it's going to give us some type of a definitive answer. Now, that being said, if you're in a special situation where say you take a medication that, say you have an autoimmune disease and you take a medication that suppresses your immune system and there's a certain timing of the month that your doctor knows that your immune system is suppressed and perhaps your, your doctor is concerned that 
you didn't have enough immunity to mount the B cells or to mount the antibodies. In that specific situation, perhaps your doctor will want to do an antibody test. But in general, we don't recommend getting an antibody test just to see if you got immunity. We've done the trials. We initially, with the Pfizer and Moderna, had over 70,000 participants. And then with the other vaccine trials, over 100,000 participants. And now in the U.S., we have well over 200 million shots. And we are seeing that the vaccines work. And so, no, it's, it's not something that's necessary in general to do. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And so, Gary, as, as, as patients, you know, sort of deal with these kinds of issues, is there any guidance that you can provide to help them at least, you know, mentally um, be prepared to confront those concerns? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I think that it's time, it's helpful for people to be able to take what I call a purposeful pause, an opportunity just to kind of stop and check in using all of your senses. Uh, and again, that's really what mindfulness is all about, paying attention to the present moment using all of your senses. So asking yourself, you know, how am I feeling at this time? Uh, what's happening in my, uh, with my emotions, my thoughts? Are they stormy? Are they calm? What's happening in my body? And then using all of those uh, pieces of information uh, as I said, to make wise uh, decisions. That, that stopping and uh, opportunity to uh, see things more clearly uh, helps us to reframe our situations and we become less knee-jerk and, uh, and less um, just acting on default. And, uh, and because of that, I think we can uh, have more of a sense of calmness, but also more confidence in our, in our decisions. Yeah, so something that could be, you know, there's a practice called STOP, which is a mindfulness practice. It's an acronym, basically STOP, uh, turn to the breath for a moment, observe, and then proceed. Something as simple as that can help you just to uh, have some grounding uh, to go forward. Well, I appreciate that because you, you know, we all know that uh, in COVID-19, there are many people who've been isolated for a very long time and don't have the benefit of family or friends to connect with and share those feelings. So you just touched on uh, on one, but there, are there any exercises that one could do at home to relieve some of that stress and anxiety? Yeah, there's an exercise, a mindfulness exercise that I find very helpful. It's called the body scan. It's a good exercise at grounding you. So basically it's just sequentially uh, going starting from the top of your head or from the tips of your toes and just dropping your awareness into what's happening in that part of the body. So you're not trying to change it or alter it. You're not wishing it were different, uh, but you're just noticing. So noticing if um, the bottom of your feet have warmth, coolness, tingling, numbness, and then going to the top of your feet, to your knees, your hips, uh, your abdomen, your fingers and your hands, top of your head and then being with your body in its full totality uh, as a living, breathing organism. You know, something like that is a very good grounding exercise. Uh, people find it helpful as well to do it first thing in the morning just to kind of check in with the body uh, and also to uh, help as far as settling thoughts uh, and grounding before bedtime. So that's just one exercise. Another simple exercise that you can be in a lineup at a grocery store, probably with a mask on, and um, or maybe with a lot of people that aren't very patient, but you can check in again uh, and just, or bring your awareness to the soles of your feet. And uh, by just stopping for a moment and checking in and noticing what's happening at the soles of the feet, your grounding mechanism 
so sometimes when we have these these exercises uh, which are mindful uh, in their in their roots can help us to come back to this moment and not be uh, worried about tomorrow and not be thinking so much about the past or hanging on to. Uh, we suffer when we try to hang on to the past or when we try to push away something. So being in the moment is really what it's all about. Well, thank you for that. It reminds me of the conversation we had before we went live where we were discussing, you know, one of the benefits of, of us having been isolated and, and staying in home and, you know, not having the distractions of our normal life is that it allows us an opportunity to really get in tune with our body and how we're thinking and how we're feeling. So thank you for sharing that information. Okay, this one says, I'm concerned about the efficacy of the vaccine on transplant recipients, and if there might be something in the works to help us get to a higher percentage of immunity. Dr. Frida, do you want to address that? I do, and that really is such an important point. It is true. Patients who have kidney transplants are on medications that purposely push their immune systems down, cause them to have some immunosuppression, and so if you're constantly taking medicines that are suppressing your immune system, then you take a vaccine that's supposed to build up your immune system, will you still have some immune compromise with the vaccines? And the answer is, because this is so new and it is so short term, there is a very real possibility. Now, what we do know in weighing the benefits and the risks is that the vaccines are safe in our transplant patients. But at this point, we're still doing studies. We're still paying attention. We're still taking note in transplant populations to find out just how effective the vaccines are. Right now, it's the best thing that we have, and it certainly gives you more protection, definitely gives you more protection than if you had no vaccine. But as far as that data and other vaccines and boosters, these things remain to be seen. You may have heard that we, the major vaccine companies like Pfizer and Moderna are looking into already making boosters. Now that's for the general population trying to anticipate some of the variants and seeing if we need to tweak the vaccines to change the variants down the road. But in that same thinking, there very likely in the future will be some tweaking or decisions on whether or not transplant patients need boosters or if they need you know, a different schedule. Unfortunately, this is the novel coronavirus. And so it's dynamic, it's fluid, it's ever changing. So we don't have those answers yet, but that's certainly an excellent question. And it's one that I would pose over and over to your primary care physicians, to your nephrologists. So as soon as we get the data, as soon as some of these studies are coming down the line, you will be one of the first to, to know what's going on. Really great question. So the next question, um, when should we expect to see the studies or the data referenced about the COVID vaccine and transplant recipients? That's a good question. I do not have a good answer. I don't, I don't know at this point when those studies will be completed, I don't. But what I do know is that with the CDC, we have these, these various websites and you can go to the CDC website to look where they are constantly doing the, the safety monitoring when people have issues, whether you have transplant or any other um, illness, or if you're perfectly healthy, if you have any kind of issues with the vaccine, that's kind of a, a moving document, something that, that's live and, and being taken on what's going on. But at this point, there is no you know, specific deadline or timeline for studies and transplant patients. So again, with this novel coronavirus, it's something that we're going to have to sit and watch day by day. But again, what we do know is that the vaccines are safe as far as the other minutia and the fine tuning that just remains to be seen. 
Gary, why don't you talk to us a little bit more about how how has mindfulness emerged, you know, as a a topic for consideration as we deal with kidney patients? So mindfulness has been around for a long time, but it really gained popular attention around 1979 with John Kabat-Zinn's work in America. And um, uh, as far as uh, work with kidney patients, I instituted mindfulness programming at the dialysis program where I worked uh, for 13 years here in Sudbury, Ontario. I found it really helpful uh, as far as helping people to be less uh, worried. And again, you know, as far as just helping with clarity, seeing things as they are, as opposed to um, misperceiving things uh, or letting that ruminating mind run wild and often go down these rabbit holes that never materialize. Also, as far as clarity and concentration, just being more able to focus. And then most importantly, with something called equanimity, which is really being with the full, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral circumstances of life. You know, we all know it with COVID, uh, but certainly the diagnosis of chronic kidney disease and pre-dialysis leading to dialysis, leading to hopefully transplant has demonstrated that life changes at the, at the drop of a hat. We have the resources to cope. Uh, and we have the innate ability to weather these storms, uh, but sometimes we lose uh, we lose sight of that. So mindfulness helps us not to be totally overwhelmed with change or circumstances beyond our control. When you're first put on dialysis, you things are very much out of your control, but people adapt. So mindfulness is a great tool to be in the moment and to be less overwhelmed and not to drown with the changes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Dr. Frida, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but one of the questions that I see in the chat room is whether there is a particular vaccine that is best for those who've had a kidney transplant. At this point, all three vaccines are safe. We recommend all three, unless your physician specifically has a reason. If you have an allergy to a particular component within a vaccine, then that's something for you to speak with your physician about. If you're someone who has had severe allergies, not just you know uh, food allergies, not just even having anaphylaxis to something outside of the vaccine, but if you've had severe allergies to components within the vaccine, or if you're a person who is at a particularly high risk for blood clots in general, you'll want to talk to your physician about what is recommended for you. But as a whole, we are not recommending one vaccine over the other for our kidney patients. Okay, thank you so much. The next question is considering the fact that Hep B virus can cause CKD in the long run as a result of the virus being attacked by the immune system and getting settled in the kidneys, can a live virus found in the COVID-19 vaccines cause CKD in the long run? Very important. Oh my goodness, that's such an important point because, because the answer is no, and there is no live COVID-19 virus in the vaccines. But this is a, a, a very common misconception, and so I'm glad this point was brought up. In the let's talk about the messenger RNA vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna. There is no virus at all. There's no dead virus. There's no live attenuated virus. There's no weakened virus in the messenger RNA virus, in the messenger RNA vaccines. What you have is genetic material, that messenger RNA. And what it does is it sends a message to your body cells 
to start making a copy of the spike proteins. And it kind of is tricking your body into thinking that it's been exposed to the coronavirus, but really it's just exposed to the spike protein that the body makes from RNA, which cannot make you sick. And so you absolutely cannot get the COVID-19 infection from the vaccine. Now let's take the viral vector. That probably sounds a little scarier when you're talking about hepatitis virus. And now with the Johnson Johnson, you know it's a viral vector. Well, they've taken an adenovirus, which is weakened to the point where it cannot replicate. It cannot make you sick at all. They've taken away its ability to divide and replicate and conquer. All it is, is a vector. It's just a little passage, like a little boat that takes that material, that, that genetic material. So again, your body can make that spike protein, recognize it. And so then the next time you're exposed to perhaps the real coronavirus, your body thinks that it's exposed before, your immune system is already revved up, it's ready and it attacks. But the important point is there is no live virus, no real virus that can hurt you at all in the vaccines. And so no, the vaccine cannot give you CKD. Excellent. Thank you. And so sort of uh, related to that, this question asks, are there any studies underway to evaluate the long-term effects of the vaccines on kidney patients? We have so many studies that are, are underway in just simultaneously in conjunction. You know, we're looking at kidney patients. We're looking at uh, patients with neurological disease. We're looking at pregnant patients. We're looking at women. We're looking at diabetic patients. We have all types of studies. But as far as being able to enroll in the specific patient as a kidney disease person, I'm not aware of any general enrollment that is underway. But again, as you have, if you have gotten the vaccine, which hopefully you have, just be very mindful of what's going on with your body. And if you have any symptoms, especially after you first got the vaccine, I do want you to go to that CDC website and report them. But again, there are studies that are coming down the pipe, but as far as one specifically that you can request to enroll in, I'm not aware of one at the time. But if you go to that CDC website and you search, then you can find some information on studies that are coming up in the NIH as well. Excellent. Thank you so much. And so, Gary, if uh, anyone watching today is interested in locating, identifying a mindfulness professional, how would you recommend they go about that? What kind of resources are available? I would suggest that you look for uh, resources related to something called the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program. Uh, that's John Kabat-Zinn's work. Uh, it is the most evidence-based, rigorously studied mindfulness training available. It's an eight-week program comprised of about 31 hours of instruction by teachers. You can gain access to um, those in, uh, that are qualified or certified to teach through uh, Brown University. If you go to the Brown uh, Center for Mindfulness on the internet, there is a list available of uh, credentialed uh, people to teach uh, mindfulness um, all over the world. And I really think it's important to get somebody that is credentialed uh, because there are risks associated with mindfulness. You know, if you're in the depths of despair or you have untreated depression, uh, it may not be the best time to, uh, to be with what is, which is really what mindfulness is all about. Uh, or if you're in the early stages of addiction withdrawal, uh, it might not be in your best interest. So an expert who is trained uh, to facilitate mindfulness-based stress reduction 
uh, would be a good resource uh, to find out what's available in your community. Excellent. Thank you. We talked a little bit earlier about um, anxiety as as the world opens up. And so one of these questions relates to that somewhat. Since transplant patients, patients have a lesser response to the vaccine, what recommendations do you have to keep them safe? Are there other extra protocols that they need to observe, uh, again, you know, given their condition and uh, increased exposure publicly? Yes, I believe that transplant patients should be still quite vigilant about wearing masks, socially distancing, and you know, really maintaining all of the hygiene. Now, that being said, we know that from the CDC's early recommendations, if you are dealing with other people, like say one household of fully vaccinated people, we know that they can visit people as long as they're at low risk, even if that other household or one other household is unvaccinated. And so if you are around people who you know have recently tested negative, they're in your household, and certainly if they're fully vaccinated, then perhaps you know if you're fully vaccinated, then you can follow some of those CDC guidelines as far as unmasking. But remember, there is that little caveat. The CDC says that when you're dealing with people who are at low risk for complications, and if you are a person who's a transplant patient and you're immune compromised by nature of taking those, those medications, then it's going to be important that even as the world opens up, even as you see people slinging their masks to the side, it is at this point prudent for you to keep your mask on most of the time, certainly indoors and certainly if you're close to other people, even if you're vaccinated. Being vaccinated does provide you with an extra layer of protection, but as we're discussing, you don't know the exact percentage and just how much. And so given this pandemic and the different surges that we see around the world, you want to err on the side of caution and wear those masks. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Frida. Another question. Uh, this, this viewer says, I've been on PD for three years now, and I'm currently working towards a transplant. I've been afraid to get the vaccines because of my immunodeficiency. Should someone like me worry about that? Well, first of all, congratulations on your journey for getting a transplant. And I really do hope and pray that you get this life-saving gift of life as a transplant. But just like you said, someone who is immunocompromised like you, should you be worried? Yes, you should be worried. Not about the vaccine, you should be worried about COVID-19. We know that patients who are on dialysis, patients who are on PD are, at, are more likely to contract COVID-19. And now that we have these new variants on the rise, like the B117 variant that was first identified in the UK, we know that these new variants are even more transmissible, more contagious, and in some cases, we believe that they're actually more deadly. And so the fear you should have is not of the vaccine, it's of COVID-19 and you should get vaccinated. Excellent, thank you. And so this question asks, if we do take the vaccine, I'm a CKD stage three patient, could it actually attack the kidneys? No, the vaccine cannot attack the kidneys. So again, even before we got to the well over 200 million doses in the United States, even before we got to the, you know, around 32% of the Americans who are fully vaccinated, even before that level, just in the studies alone, we're dealing with about 100,000 study participants. They monitored their labs, they monitored their kidney function throughout, and we did not find anyone who developed CKD. And the studies actually really started over a year ago, back in March, 
2020. So now we're looking at the year data from the people who first, first started getting the vaccines. And we have not seen any evidence of renal failure, chronic kidney disease being a cause of vaccines. And so at this point, it looks like the vaccines are safe and that they do not cause chronic kidney disease, CKD. Excellent. Thank you so much. And and Gary, as I'm listening to these questions, I'm thinking about the connection to um, you know physical health and mental health. Do you work with uh, nephrologists in in providing you know sort of a collaborative approach to care uh, for kidney patients? So I, I I'm no longer uh, providing service in the nephrology program, uh, but when I was providing service, I had uh, a lot of great support by the nephrologists on my team. And then uh, they would um, ask me um, to, um, to work with uh, patients around anxiety, a safe place of visualization. Uh, in one instance, I was able to go into a surgical suite where a person had to have fistula revision and they couldn't go under general anesthetic, but I did the body scan with them to keep them relaxed and calm so the procedure could, could occur. Yeah, I've had, I had great support by the nephrologists uh, on my team here in Sudbury, and I was, uh, I'm very great, grateful and thankful for that. When I started my journey as far as mindfulness, I thought it was all about gaining tools to help my patients. But again, as healthcare professionals, we need to help ourselves too. So uh, it also helped me to deal with my own anxiety uh, and um, and the tiredness and the fatigue that comes with listening to uh, people that are suffering and working with these sad stories and situations all the time. Yeah, working with healthcare professionals, working with uh, patients and uh, great support by the nephrologists on my team. Excellent, thank you so much. Our next question, who is the most appropriate doctor to talk to about my husband who has stage four CKD um, getting a shot, his general doctor or a nephrologist? I would say that probably both the general doctor and the nephrologist will both have adequate information and be on the same page about the vaccines. Now we do know that most people are seeing their general doctors if they have chronic issues, maybe every few months, if they have chronic issues that need to be addressed. But if you have CKD4, then you should be seeing your nephrologist every month. That being said, your nephrologist will probably have more of the up-to-date information about you and what's going on with your kidneys, but you should certainly discuss it with both. But as far as who can give you the most information specific to your kidney disease, the CKD4, probably neurologist. Thank you so much. I want to give both of you an opportunity to sort of make some last statements a few minutes um, before we have to close out. So Dr. Frida, why don't you kind of give us your, your last perspective and information advice that you can provide to our viewers today? You know, it's just been over a year since we've been hit by the pandemic and then now we've got the vaccines and then information seems to just keep changing, keep changing. So I really want to encourage everyone who is listening, kidney patients, non-kidney patients in general, just make sure that when you're getting your information, you follow the science, you speak to your physicians, healthcare workers, speak to people you trust and get adequate evidence-based information. I do recommend the vaccines in kidney patients, in dialysis patients, we know that COVID-19 can be devastating. It can cause death. And death is not the only consequence of COVID-19. It can cause you to be a long hauler or have long COVID, where you can have blood clots, neurological disorders, depression, brain fog, you name it. And so definitely 
the benefits of the vaccines outweigh the risks. That being said, you certainly want to have a conversation with your physician. What we say here has been wonderful information that we've shared from places of evidence, from helpful places, but nothing actually replaces the recommendation of your personal physician. Thank you so much. Gary, do you have any closing comments for us? Yeah, I, I would like to say that, um, you know, we really can be participants in our, in our care and our well-being. And we do have the tools and the inner resources to get through this. Um, you know, a couple suggestions. Uh, there's something called doom scrolling. So, you know, watching your um, what you're scrolling through on the internet uh, and just watching your the news that you're being subjected to. Uh, if it feels yucky inside as you're reading it, uh, you know, pay attention to your body and, and what's happening in your feelings, your thoughts. It may not be in your best interest to be visiting it as frequently. Get outside, get some fresh air. Sometimes a walk around the block, or as my my wise wife often says, a cup of tea uh, can do you wonders. You know, and also staying away from your devices around bedtime. Talking uh, to people about how you're feeling and not in a, um, you know, with toxic positivity where, you know, you're always saying, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm going to be a lot better person because of this and this is a gift and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but allowing people to really talk about their feelings uh, and, and then allowing them to have some hope about uh, the future. Um, and, uh, you know, return to some of your previous um, loves of life, maybe reading, uh, going back to books before bed and, and setting boundaries in your household and in your work activity. And again, just knowing that the nature of life is that we will have uh, rainy days and sunny days. Just when we think that we uh, are confident about um, how we are in, in life, something happens. And that will be the nature of life. We know that more than anything else, knowing that we have the inner resources to, to deal with this. Most importantly, taking a purposeful pause, uh, going to the breath or going to anchors uh, that will ground you when you have that opportunity. Fantastic advice. And again, advice that's good for all of us, all of us. So, so thank you both. This has been a wonderful conversation and thank you all so very much for joining us. And I look forward to another opportunity like this very soon. Thank you for listening. Do you have questions about the vaccine? Send us a quick email at nkfpodcast at kidney.org. We love hearing about your perseverance in the face of adversity. Your victories fuel our fight. Today, we celebrate Becky Lowe from California, who was able to complete her studies and receive an Associate of Science degree while on dialysis. She received her transplant during her last semester and is now two years kidney strong. Congratulations, Becky. We want to hear from you. Do you have comments on this episode, suggestions on future topics or guests? Is there a kidney hero in your life that you'd like to honor? Email us at nkfpodcasts at kidney.org. Make sure to subscribe, review, and share our podcast with others. Thank you again for listening. We hope you join us next time. Until then, from all of us at NKF, we wish you good health.